0: I've gotten some great feedback from listeners to the show recently about conversations with trainers. We've had some high-profile guests on the show over the last few months, people such as Neil Patel, Marshall Goldsmith, Grant Cardone, to name just three people. And we also have Michael Bungay-Stanier, best-selling author and founder of the Canadian training company Box of Crayons, on the show in two weeks' time. But what you seem to really like are conversations with other training business owners because this is a chance for you to find out what people just like you and I are doing, whom they serve, and what's working for them in their training business. And I love episodes like this as well because it gives me a chance to introduce you to people training business owners in my training network. So today it's 30 minutes of training business talk with executive coach and consultant Vicky Harris From the UK, this is episode 91 of the training business podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett-Hayes. Hey, this is Mark. I'm the host of the training business podcast. And if it's your first time here, welcome. If it's not your first time here, welcome back. Just to remind you, this is the show for freelance trainers, for training business owners, for training consultants, just like you and I, all around the world. And we have listeners from all around the world. So if you're listening from Sydney or Melbourne or Perth or Johannesburg or Cape Town or Paris or Berlin or San Francisco, Dallas, wherever you are. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the show. As I said, the goal of this show, every episode in some format, is to help you to start, grow, and scale a profitable training business. So what about people with training businesses? We had Lorna Gammon on the show two weeks ago. We had Jude Jennison, a coach who leadership trains or trains people in leadership through horses, would you believe, last week, And today, it's another 30 minutes of training business owner talk, this time with executive coach and consultant Vicky Harris from the UK. So we're going to talk about what Vicky does, what she sells, what her brand is, who her ideal customers are, how she finds clients, and the kinds of qualifications that Vicky has acquired along the way. And of course, what her plans are in the next few years. Vicky has a really cool idea, which she calls virtual coffee, which is helping her to have non-sales, sales sales conversations with prospects and customers. I love this idea and I'm going to put this into use myself this week. Vicky is going to tell you how it works. Vicky, hi, welcome to the show. Hello, Mark. So you're currently in the south of England today and it's a a glorious day. It's 1st of June, so it's is it officially summertime yet?
1: It is, yes. Today is the, the first day of meteorological summer, apparently.
0: Meteorological summer, that's a big word.
1: Yes. <laughs> I, I heard it on the weather forecast this morning,
0: Mark. <laughs> so what are you currently doing right now? What is your, um, what's your business?
1: So I run a business um, imaginatively called VH Learning Limited. So, Which um, stands for your name. It does, exactly mm-hmm. right. And, um, And the business is essentially uh, executive coaching and learning and development consultancy.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, what do you sell?
1: So, I sell I sell um, my services as an executive coach, um, and also my services as as a a learning and development consultant. And the I mean, the coaching is you know relatively straightforward. I do also um, do mentoring. but coaching and consultancy has got a nice ring to it. And um, the consultancy side really is quite, uh, it's quite wide. So it can be everything from learning and development strategy and, and you know working as a consultant in that field right the way through to the other end of the scale, which is, you know, um, short one-off training sessions. So, you know, for example, recently I did a, a train-the-trainer for a manufacturing company. So it's quite broad in its scope, the, the consultancy side. Um, again, that it can run from, you know, designing and delivering a training course through to longer-term interim projects, which I've done quite a lot of over the last
0: few years. Yeah, I'm curious because sometimes people say to me <clears throat> they're not quite clear on what the difference is between mentoring, coaching, training, and consulting, and they're actually four distinct things. And I find sometimes trainers uh, mix those terms up. So they describe themselves maybe in one conversation as a consultant, a training consultant, and then in another conversation they might say, "I'm actually a trainer." And then they might say, I'm a trainer or coach, and then they might throw in uh, a mentor as well. So I am I think it might be a, a good idea to just thrash those out. What do you think are the differences between those four?
1: So um, coaching is, um, it, it's very uh, particular, I suppose. So if if I was in the, if I had my pure coaching hat on, which I, I do when I coach generally, um, that's very much about uh, the individual's agenda. It's about uh, drawing out from the individual's you know what they already know helping them to do their thinking really just giving them some space and time to think things through and to come up with solutions and then moving across a little bit more to mentoring so mentoring is is a little bit more uh sharing of knowledge so it, when i'm mentoring i tend to do more sharing of my experience offer advice which is not the case with with coaching so much um so mentoring tends to be the use of my experience uh, and my experiences over my career to help somebody. Um, and the learns can get a little bit blurry um, with ment- mentoring and coaching. So I tend to sort of say I do mentoring and coaching because sometimes if a client is really stuck, you know, it's it's not against, you know, the, the rules of, of life to offer some advice. But the the I think the distinction really is, is offering it kindly and offering it gently and in coaching it's very much the client's decision about whether they want that advice and they're quite free to say no thank you I'll I'll do my own thinking whereas mentoring you know really is very much more about sharing thoughts and ideas and advice moving through over to training i mean most most people are fairly familiar with with training and that's really how you would imagine it's it's looking at uh really uh, helping people to increase their skills and knowledge in, in something very specific
0: yeah I think I think that um, that that that's a, a couple of good points there. In fact, and often, in, to my mind, when people talk about what they deliver to people, they're thinking in terms of their product. You know, I'm I'm a trainer, I'm a consultant, or rather, I'm a trainer, I'm a coach, and I give mentoring. But the the thing that's important is what does the person perceive they're getting, and. To my mind, if, if I'm if I'm to do this successfully as a training business owner, I almost have to have my consultant hat on first. That, to my mind, as a, a business owner, that's the most important hat to wear first. It's not just to turn up with a solution and say, it's going to be training, it's going to be coaching, it'll be mentoring or a combination of the three, but rather that I'm first of all here to understand what the business need is before I can actually diagnose and recommend something.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, Mark. And, you know, that's, that's very much my philosophy. So I, I genuinely don't think that you can go in and offer solutions unless you know what the problem is. So, you know, that's, that's the one thing I do above all else is that analysis at the start, um, because then there's, you know, there's a potentially, there's a range of solutions, as you, as you say, and I might be able to offer some of those, or maybe I might not, and I have to use some of my um, associate networks. So, um, I, I think, you know, if, if all else failed, I would do that analysis bit properly first, because the rest comes quite easily
0: once you've got your defined outcomes and what you need to achieve. Yeah, that's true. And you mentioned your associate network. How significant is that to you?
1: Um, it's, it's really important. I, I haven't had to call on them as yet for any work because the work that I've done so far, I've been able to, I've had the, the capacity and the capability to do myself. But um, relying on my network for, for various things is, is absolutely crucial to my business.
0: So when we're talking about associates, we're talking about other trainers, people who might have something they can't deliver because they're stretched or they have something they can't deliver because it's not their remit or area of expertise. So they might come to you. And I can certainly say that that has helped me a couple of times this year. People have said to me, have you done something like uh, training with uh, medical teams or, or the pharmaceutical industry? I have. And that helped me. In fact, that was a query this week from a colleague of mine. And another query was, if I stretch my mind back, it was to do with uh, training in Germany. And I said, yes, I've delivered training in German before. And they said, great, that's what I thought, because I can't do that, but you can. So having a network is really important when you need something that you um, you simply can give other people, and it's a two-way street. So can you think of times when, let's say, you're familiar with other trainers who've had the benefit of having an associate network
1: um yes i, I work with um uh a, 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 actually she's an ex-boss her name is uh, julie robinson and she runs uh, a company called inspired experiences and um you know when her demand gets very high she she gives me a, a call and in fact we were just working on something together before and, uh, this unfortunate situation uh, hit us where i was uh, going to help her with some design and, and delivery and um, and again that was to do mainly with her with her capacity and um, she was very very busy um, and you know there's a number of people that I've got around me that you know it's, it's quite a friendly community I think the training community is is a good community um, in terms of helping each other out because I mean it's kind of what we do isn't it we most of us quite enjoy helping people tends to be what we what we do best um, and that extends to our, our network as well so so yes yeah, c- certainly that's the, the example that springs to mind
0: yeah because I think so many of us focus on you know new clients and we forget that actually there are people to whom clients come, not necessarily to us, and using our network—well, using is perhaps not the right word, but but serving our network—proactively creates the kind of um, return when the time is right. And at some point, if people have been helped by you, they will at some point reciprocate because there's a kind of a psychological pressure on us all to do that. You know, when someone does us a favor, it's it's to return a favor at the earliest opportunity. But so many people forget that, you know, it's, it's really important not just to network with prospective clients, but to network with peers, because when, as will happen at some point, they can't deliver something, they'll think inevitably of someone who can. And if that's you, well, then you'll benefit from that. So moving on to your ideal client, w- what is your ideal client? Who are they typically?
1: Well, I tend to work mainly in uh, leadership and management development, so that encompasses the coaching and and the uh, the training and the consultancy as well. Um, I tend, and again, it's not exclusive actually, but that's just seems to be where I land. Um, I tend to work with uh, small to medium sized businesses um, and. Thankfully, the, the kind of things that I do are quite transferable. So, you know, I've worked recently uh, from, I did some work for a manufacturing company. I've worked for a couple of years on and off in interim roles um, for a, a tech company in Marsat. Um, I've also worked in pharmaceuticals uh, for a company called Astalis and did some project work there and telecoms recently. So actually the breadth of experience is, is fantastic. But um, the other the other field is uh, customer services and customer experience. So did a, a big project for a company called Cult around their, their customer experiences. So, so it tends to be organisations rather than individuals. Um, and it tends to be around about that size. And it tends to be uh, around the leadership and management development.
0: So why do you feel you kind of gravitate towards those things specifically?
1: I think that's just because of my background, actually. So so my background, my my, uh, I, I started out, I've worked for a long time for Virgin Atlantic, um, 15 years in total in, in various jobs, but latterly um, as part of the L&D team as a management development consultant. Um, and I was lucky there to have a a really broad range of organizational development experiences, not not just L&D. So it, it's what I know. Um, it's also my uh, master's degree is in le- management, learning and leadership. So it's very much my sweet spot.
0: Mm. And at, at looking at your qualifications, because we talked about that before uh, today's uh, uh, chat, um, you have a range of qualifications and I'm just curious how they have helped you in working with clients and serving them. So you, you've got Hogan, MBTI, Fire OB, and is that right SDI, have I right? Strengths
1: Deployment Inventory, yes, Yes, SDI. SDI. Yes. So
0: just give us a quick overview of, of what those four are and the differences between them Fr- from your perspective, not technically, but how they, you know, can be used as a product to someone who's looking for someone with those kinds of qualifications.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, Myers-Briggs, um, MBTI is is the is the core um, qualification I, I would describe for me personally because it's you can use it in so many different ways um, so you can use it with individuals or you can use it with teams um, and I've used it in both those settings really useful um, and also quite rigorous as well so so you know that it's great for having some really good deep conversations and giving people a language to use. And um, the slight downside of Myers Briggs, which I think everybody acknowledges, is is that um, after a little while, people don't remember which letters they are. So <laughs> you know, and, and Myers Briggs recognise that they're doing quite a lot of work to try and move away from letters and into type. You know, personality types. Um, Strengths Deployment Inventory I find is absolutely fabulous. In it's about that's about relationship. Theory, so that I find that really great for team settings and really great for high volume team settings. So I've used it um extensively at Virgin Atlantic, and, and we did uh there a lot of work with our um, engineering teams, and there was a lot of them. So we, we were able to really highlight the different personality types that people are, and those it's a colour system. So you come out as a, a particular colour or combination. Typically, like ships.
0: you know, red, yellow, green, blue, yes, that kind of thing,
1: that, yeah. that kind of thing. And, and people find that really easy to remember. And more than letters. <laughs> much more than letters, yeah. So I find that one fantastic for team events. Um I have used it individually as well. It's it's quite enlightening. It's it's easier, it's more accessible for people, I think. Um then Hogan is uh I've used that one primarily for coaching. So Hogan is it's quite in depth. There are a lot of different uh scales. So I'm not sure yet how that would work in a group setting. You can use it with teams, but I find it's very enlightening for coaching. People um, find you know light bulbs come on left right and center and and it's good context and good language to use and fire ob i haven't used recently actually i've not used that one for a long long time um and i'm not it's not asked you know people don't ask me for it so my gut instinct is saying that that would be a, a coaching tool as well rather rather than a team tool um, because it's quite personal to you in terms of your values and your drivers. Yeah. I mean,
0: I, the organ an organization I worked for five years ago, they used Fire O.B. in terms of leadership development. Senior managers went through a Fire O.B. program. But again, many people have never heard of Fire O.B.
1: Yes, it's, um, I mean, it's quite interesting. They've, they've changed some of their words, in fact, actually, since I did my qualification. So they've made the the, the words were quite psychological you know basic psychology um, and a bit technical whereas now they're trying to make them a little bit more accessible and more everyday words so um, i'm dying to give it a go actually so i'm i'm hunting for a client where it might be useful
0: <laughs> so what prompted you to to get those qualifications because that's quite a substantial number of of qualifications in in, in psychometric evaluation
1: Yes, it is. Um, I was incredibly fortunate. I got Myers-Briggs and Strength Deployment Inventory whilst I was working at Virgil Atlantic and... Um that was fabulous because we were able, you know, me and my colleague both both got them, um, and we were able to use them over and over again in that setting. Um, and interestingly, that was a result of the 2008 financial crisis because actually we went from using a model where we were um, outsourcing quite a lot of the design and delivery to bringing it in house and doing a lot of team effectiveness after after that time. Obviously, there've been a lot of changes in the organisation and um, restructures and redundancies, so those tools absolutely came into their own during that time so there could be some parallels um with, with what's going on now in terms of organizations changing what they do and how they're how they're doing it um and fire a as part of that package as well the hogan um i decided to do a couple of years ago uh, because i knew it was quite a widely used um tool and so it is particularly
0: in the states i believe
1: Yes, absolutely. And, and also in coaching as well. So, so it was, um, I did my coaching qualification, um, a few years ago and then shortly afterwards I did buy, um, Hogan qualification. Um, really, yeah, really good, really interesting qualification to do. And, and another thing to add to my toolkit.
0: And that's something someone said to me recently in a conversation about being furloughed is that, um, as a tip, she gave me, was to negotiate, if you are being furloughed, if you can negotiate some kind of um, package or or some kind of agreement whereby your employer is giving you something like this as you go out the door. Something, you know, where you, you come away at least with a qualification. Because they can be quite expensive, right? I mean, these things can cost several thousand dollars.
1: Yes. Yeah, they are very expensive. I was looking at insights um just before all of this happened actually and um yes they're not they're not cheap to do but th- but at the same time actually you know with Hogan I've I've more than recouped
0: that cost. That's good to hear. And the other thing of course is the fact that some of these require you to renew your qualification every I don't know 3 or 4 years is that right?
1: Actually the ones I'm qualified in don't require that. They have fantastic resources on their website so you're able to stay up to date through um you know, keep making sure that you stay in touch with them and, and keep looking at the website. So there's lots of, you know, updated slides they offer and lots of webinars on how best to, to deliver, particularly at the moment, actually, as most of us will be delivering virtually. So that is one of the considerations I, I, I would look at if I decide to do another another personality profiling tool.
0: And can I ask you, um, do you feel that you have clarity in your own mind as to why you felt the need to acquire these? Is it for Business generation purposes, or validation purposes, or what is it that influenced your thinking as to the number and which qualifications to get?
1: Well, as as I say, the, the Myers Briggs and the the strength Deployment Inventory, uh, we actually we went through quite a rigorous process at Virgin Atlantic when we were deciding which ones to go for, um, and it was it, it was a whole host of factors that came into it. You know, um, cost, ease of use, accessibility to to you know the the audience, and um, in terms of myself so with the Hogan I think it was really just to add something else to my toolkit for the coaching so so I view it very much as like to do what I need to do I I need tools to do the job so it's it's really about it is about you know will this sell because much as I love learning and self-development uh you've you've also got to be a little bit commercial about it as as a business owner um so you, I would be doing courses every week if if the business, you know, if the finance is allowed, but you, I really now think about, am I going to get a return on this investment?
0: Yeah, I think that's an important distinction. So on the one hand, you do want to sharpen the saw. You want to have, you know, a process where you're investing in, in your own expertise, because that's what you're charging for. But by the same token, I've come across people who feel that they must have these things before they start their own consultancy or training business, that they have to have a kind of an, a list of accolades or, or logos, which only when they're in place can they actually go to market and charge for their time, expertise. And I'm not sure if that's quite true. But you have these, obviously, on the back of having worked for companies like Virgin, But I think that's something to keep in mind, that many people out there sometimes feel that unless they have these things, they're not any good.
1: Okay, right. Well, I I would say that actually, you know, when I first started out in running my own business, I I just kept an open mind because what I didn't want to do is invest a whole load of money in all sorts of things, you know, websites, logos, um, lots of marketing and sales when actually at that point in time, I didn't really know where my focus was going to be. Um, so, you know, the advice I'd give to people is, you know, s- start out, give it a go, experiment, and then, you know, a couple of years down the line, you'll you'll know what you need more,
0: I think. Yeah, and you also have to know the differences between these tools, because you might find that this thing, let's say MBTI or Discovery Insights, um, is something which might be Of commercial interest for one product, but it may not be something which is of interest to other clients. And all of a sudden you have invested several thousand dollars or or pounds or euros in a qualification and you've no real return on investment for it. I think that's something to keep in mind.
1: What springs to mind for me on that, Mark, is is a recent experience. So I had been asked by a client to do some uh, quite a big leadership development programme for um, a, a, a team of senior leaders. And we were trying to decide which tool to use. So was it Myers-Briggs? Uh, we looked at DISC and also at Insights. Now I know I'm not qualified in DISC or Insights and that I am qualified in Myers-Briggs. And the rule I gave myself was you know, actually the, the piece of work would have been worth a little tiny bit more than the cost of doing Myers-Briggs. So my view on that was, well, if I do that piece of work and because of that piece of work, I get my insights qualification. Um, and even if I break even, that's fine because, you know, I've, I've, it's an investment, but I'm also being paid for it. So I'm not, I'm not minus all those thousands of pounds, I've, I've not, I'm not any worse off, you know. So I tend to, I and, and I've, I'm working with on that with with a couple of other things at the moment as well. So you know, and I'm being very open with my clients as well. By the way, I'm not saying you know I have insights. I'm saying look, I can get insights. If That's what you really want. I can get it. Uh, In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, okay, but the the work has to be worth at least this amount of money for me to now go off and get the qualification. So it's a bit of a balance.
0: You're right. Absolutely right. Yeah.
1: But I do tend to go, you know, rather than just going off and getting the qualification, I tend to think, right, is there a demand for it? Does somebody want it? And if they do, and I can break even on that piece of work. Happy days.
0: Mm. So, how are you dealing with the current situation?
1: Yeah, I, I think like everybody else on a on, on the roller coaster. I think it's been called the Corona coaster. So, you know, <laughs> up, 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 days, <laughs> up days and and down days. Um, on the whole, absolutely fine. I think like everybody else, there was a real shock in that that first couple of weeks, and I had uh, so so my business. I've, I've I'm, this year was the year I chose to move more from mainly in stream work with. Mm-hmm a bit of the other stuff in between, through to more of the coaching consultancy training work um, with perhaps a little bit of interim. Not a good year to to do that, actually, but it was working out okay. And I had some work in the pipeline. um, Within a week of lockdown, all but one tiny little bit of work got cancelled. So you know, as a, as a business owner, and anybody who's listening will will probably know how disheartening that is, and and how difficult that is, and and also the the sense of slight panic that arrives when when you're getting phone call after phone call cancelling work. Um, it's, it's every business owner's worst nightmare. But then I, um, so so I took a couple of weeks out. It was around about Easter time. And I thought, well, do you know what? Everybody's just in crisis mode. There is just no point. The, the best thing I can do at this moment in time is to stay safe and look after myself and do my bit for the country by staying in. Um, and as we've started to come out of the other side um, and, and you know, it, certainly over that kind of after easter my, my philosophy is i just need to keep in touch with people so i've been working really hard just to just to keep in touch i'm not trying to sell anything at the moment i'm just making sure everybody's all right and seeing what's going on so I'm keeping the finger on the pulse of what's going on out there in the world of work um you know because obviously i'm not out there like like we're all indoors so um catching up with people checking in making sure they're okay um offering what i can offer um i i am offering um you know, my, my immediate network, I'm offering free advice and help if, if they need it. Um, I am getting some inquiries, so that's, that's quite heartening. Small stuff, but, you know, better than nothing.
0: And is that coming on the back of those, you know, outreaches where you're contacting people and saying, look, I'm not selling you anything, but I'm here to help and I'm quite happy to have a chat with you? Or, or a virtual coffee. Yes,
1: yes. Yeah. So we talked about virtual coffees, didn't we? So I'm doing lots of virtual coffees at the moment, which is lovely because you still get to see people. You, you know, there seems to be some sort of little ritual in actually having a cup of coffee with you while you're doing that. It's, it's
0: really nice. So literally, you have your webcam on on your laptop or your desktop, and then you have a cup of coffee, and and someone has the equivalent on their side. Are they at home typically?
1: Yes. Yeah. Always at the moment. Yeah. So and then there's generally a nice conversation about what's going on in the background and how the weather is. And, it, and, and you know, the, my philosophy around networking hasn't changed as a result of this. I would be doing that sort of stuff anyway. I just would be doing it face to face normally.
0: Yeah. I, I can imagine how in, in some ways this is different because in having a virtual coffee, as you call it, someone is away from the office, they're at home and you have them in their kind of natural environment, M- maybe pictures of kids or a dog in the background etc do you feel that has any difference in terms of how they relate to you and how they open up to you
1: yes generally i mean across the board absolutely it does because I, i think this whole thing has um opened up this human side that sometimes is masked when people go to work so there are now conversations about you know, there's a dog barking in the background. Oh, well, let's have a look at the dog. Bring You know, bring him up. <laughs> yeah. I'm seeing people's kids and pets and, you know, pictures and backgrounds and, and all sorts of things. So that that's really nice. I'm really fortunate, though. I, I, my network is a close network and I, a lot of them are also friends. You know, I have a, a, a good, really good set of relationships. So for me personally... Not a huge amount of difference. I'd be having those conversations anyway. But what I am noticing is, you know, anybody that's not part of that network that I'm talking to is everything's just a little bit more human. And it is nice because you can make a a quicker connection with those, you know, in these circumstances, I think.
0: Yeah, someone said that to me recently. I was talking to a person in sales and they said yes, that now they can actually use the situation to speak to someone in their home. And because it's in their home, they're dressed down there's the kind of typical barriers which exist or might exist in the case of a desk or a gatekeeper that's all gone. And now you've a route directly to someone and because they are seeing you as you are and vice versa, there's almost a human element where the business side of things takes a back seat. And it's more about the kind of, well, how are you doing? And, you know, what are the kids doing? And it's there's a, a one-to-one as opposed to navigating this complex organization to get through to a gatekeeper, to get past the gatekeeper, to get through to someone, to find the time in their calendar. But through this virtual coffee idea of yours, which is fantastic, I like that a lot, actually, you're able to see someone as they are and vice versa.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's... Um, you know, it's surprising how, how well it, it, all of this is working, you know, in, in terms of my networking, it's the, the volume hasn't dropped, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's a nice way of doing it.
0: You also said to me, you're reading a few books right now. And I often say that leaders are readers, readers are leaders. So <laughs> yeah. tell us about the books you're reading and why those books and what you've learned from them.
1: Yeah. The one I've just finished actually is uh, called Driving Performance Through Learning and it's by uh, Andy Lancaster. And Oh, that rings a bell. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, he's uh, head of Learning for CIPD I may have got his title a little bit wrong there, but he's uh, he, he's quite a prominent um, L&D thought leader. And it really, what I wanted to do was just make sure that my knowledge around L&D strategy um, and it, it goes strategy also is quite tactical in some in some places. I just wanted to make sure I was completely up to date because you know, when you're busy and you're working hard and you're on interim contracts, you know, you just carry on doing what you're doing. I don't always have the time. So I thought, right, well, I've got a pile of books actually. And this, this was the one I I grabbed first. Uh, and I think it's a brilliant book. It's, it's validated quite a lot of stuff that hasn't changed. And it's also given me some fresh and new ideas on how to, you know, approach various aspects of learning.
0: Okay. Anything else about the book that you like? I mean, who who would typically... Lift this book up and read it. Would it be a self-employed trainer or a, a coach, or is it someone who perhaps runs or owns an L and D function in a business?
1: I would say all of the above, but perhaps except pure coaches, because it's it's not a coaching book. I've got I've got lots of other coaching books, but I think I think that one is uh, it, it's for L and D leaders, and I would. Um, i've definitely benefited from it from a, a self-employed perspective and um, from a trainer perspective if, if people are doing pure training it's just got some really interesting things there around um you know learning needs analysis uh, and and evaluation particularly which i think are you know important aspects of the
0: of the cycle okay so what else is on your list of books right now
1: actually funnily enough i've actually i haven't read simon sinex sinex book yet so i've just ordered that one through amazon so i'm waiting i'm waiting for that one to arrive and actually i'm catching up with a few of my journals at the moment so i sign up to harvard business review so i'm
0: Mm, me um, too
1: yeah i'm plowing through a few back copies of that at the moment and i've forgotten how good that is actually um i do have a, a small pile sitting on my little office floor um and i'm also using looking at quite a lot of online stuff as well so you know i tend to find training zone if you subscribe to Trading Zone, they've got some useful articles in there, um, and I also subscribe now to McKinsey, and they they're putting out some really good stuff at the moment around the current situation.
0: So tell me about McKinsey briefly, because that's I've sus- subscribed to HBR, but not McKinsey. What what the dif- What would the difference be, and why would I subscribe to that?
1: Um, actually, they're quite they're quite similar in in their approach. So they they tend to sort of push out articles and resources. Um, so I think for me, McKinsey. Just seem to have. Um, so I think I think HBR, the magazine, which is what I subscribe to, is great. It's it's very credible and it looks at a whole different bunch of stuff around business. So it's not just for, as you know, it's not just for training and L&D people. And I think what it gives you is it gives you a really um, a good perspective on business in general so i think it kind of adds to your credibility if you're able to understand what's going on in, in business and um, hbr they they uh, sorry i beg your pardon mckinsey that they tend to for me they just feel a little bit more it just feels like there's quite a lot of gravitas behind some of the articles that they're pushing out at the moment quite um also quite pragmatic so th- there's a lot of frameworks that they're um, showing, you know, steps out of COVID-19. Well, of course, they're a businesses. consultancy
0: company, aren't they? They're famous yes. for a couple of models in, in management yes. consulting. Yep.
1: Yeah. And yeah. And, and it's really useful. So if you, if you sort of delve in, you can find, generally find something that would be useful for, for um, conversation or for sharing ideas with people. Um So yes, I'm enjoying those at the moment.
0: Yeah, they're all great tips. I think that's important. Someone has to um, expand their mind. And of course, expand their thinking because ultimately what people are buying or investing in from a trainer or, or a consultant, training consultant is, is that knowledge, which needs to be more than the stuff you've been through by tapping into other people's expertise, subscribing to HBR or, or McKinsey, or just reading books on a regular basis that of course will make you more valuable. And if, when things are all over, we have to find ways to stand out and, and expanding your, uh, Understanding of terms and how business has changed, and the implications that COVID 19 has for business, and reimagining the post COVID 19 return to business, what that's like. Um, these kinds of articles help to shape your mind and help you. So, looking at the long term, then, a um, couple of years down the line, where would you like to be, and what is your exit plan from the training business?
1: Mm, it's, it's a good question. Um, so I think, you know, certainly in the next you know, few years, um, in my ideal world, I, I would very much like to be doing a lot more coaching. Um, I really, really love it. I get a lot of, uh, I find it very rewarding um, and it's great to see people developing. So I'd like to be doing a lot more of that and um, certainly more, uh, less interim work and more um, projects work with, with individual clients um however you know being pragmatic I'm not sure what it's going to look like really I'm not sure and and I'm probably a little different than some business owners in, in that you know I, I literally take each year as it comes and I treat it as a huge adventure I'm I'm loving doing what I do so it, it, you know being really um open about it I think as long as I'm enjoying it and as long as it's earning enough money for me to to do you know maintain my lifestyle and um, I'll see what comes along through conversation um so so there's a little bit of a shape in there about what would what would be amazing um but there's also a, an openness you know and, and i think that for me personally that works really well just just see what comes along and if it's right say yes to it don't don't be bound by you know what you think the right thing to do is follow your heart a little bit is is my personal tip and, and it's worked quite well for me so far And in terms of exit exit strategy honestly, Mark, I don't really know at the moment. Um, I I don't think it's going to be a hard stop. I, I imagine if the coaching, you know, if I'm doing enough coaching, I'll just carry on doing that. You know, as long as it makes me happy and as long as it, you know, pays the bills, then um, I, I'm i not sure. Or, you know, I, I could reach 55 and decide that I'm going to travel the world. I'm not sure yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we don't know, you know, I, th- I think my philosophy is we, you just don't know what's around the corner. But I think right now... That what's happening right now will change a lot of things for a lot of people. So, you know, my that's why I don't plan too far in advance because anything could happen. So enjoy Really, I very much live for a living in the moment and enjoying it.
0: Vicky, thanks very much for being my guest this morning on the show.
1: My pleasure. Great
0: to talk to you. Thanks, Vicky, for being our guest today. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day, even if it's during lockdown. To share your training journey and story with us. Thanks to you, of course, listeners to the show, for taking the time to tune in again this week. There are many, many podcasts out there, I know, because I listen to quite a few every single week but I appreciate the fact that you've taken time out of your day to listen to this particular podcast. And on that basis, I'd love you to keep on sending me ideas for episodes and content. So any episode ideas or content suggestions that you have, these are gratefully received. And you can send them, of course, to my email directly, which is mark at trainingbusiness.com. Feel free to check us out on social media. By my own admission, I am not great at social media, but feel free to email me or to even drop some kind of suggestions into Facebook or Instagram, Twitter, etc, etc. So until next Thursday, when there is a fresh episode of the Training Business podcast, please look after yourself and your loved ones. Keep safe